just ahead on Black Issues Forum. Midterm election 2022 results are in. Our state's big winner, Ted Budd, over Sherry Beasley for the Senate seat. What does this win mean going forward? Our analysts will weigh in on that and other contests, both locally and on the national front. Stay with us. Welcome to Black Issues Forum. I'm Deborah Holt-Noel. The political ads for midterm election 2022 have come to an end, and the results are in, most of them anyway. We're going to look at some of the key races and results both nationally and locally, one in particular that was both local and national, North Carolina was a state to watch as we had potential to be one of four seats Democrats needed to gain control of the Senate, but that seat went to Republican Ted Budd, who won 50.7% of the vote. It was a close race with opponent Sherry Beasley taking just 47.1%. As of this recording, some of the national races are still too close to call. Let's talk about it. I want to welcome Mary C. Curtis, host of the Equal Time podcast, political analyst Steve Rao, head of the Forsyth County GOP, Harold Eustish, and grassroots organizer and student at UNC Chapel Hill, Greer, Rupp, Greer Webb. My apologies. So excited to have all four of you here today. Before we get to the Senate race, were there any surprises? And if so, what was the biggest? Mary, let me open with you. I think the biggest surprise, and I think pollsters will be looking at their data as well, uh, is that Republicans had been bragging about a big red wave, if not a red tsunami, sweeping over politics, big gains in the Senate and House they were expecting. And it was more like a red puddle. They look, uh, right now, we don't really know. It's up in the air who will control the House and the Senate. But if they do control the House, which it looks like it may be likely, it will be by just a few seats. And as far as the Senate, uh, we should be glad we're not in Georgia because you'll get a lot more ads because that is race between Herschel Walker uh, and Reverend Raphael Warnock has gone to a runoff. So I think that's the biggest surprise. And I yes. think it gives us an insight into the American people. People said, what will it be? Inflation, crime, abortion, threats to democracy. Well, the thing is, it was all of those things. It was, and it did give insight into who Americans are, what we care about, and uh, what we're going to be thinking about going forward. Steve, your thoughts, surprises. Well, the biggest surprise of the night, on a positive note, was uh, North Carolina State Senator Wiley Nickel uh, in the midst of millions of dollars of attacks from uh, a MAGA warrior, uh, Bo Hines, uh, who was backed and endorsed by President Trump. Uh, Senator Nickel won. Uh, he ran a really great campaign and uh, turned out a lot of independents and moderate Republicans and Democrats. And so he's going to be the newest member of the North Carolina congressional delegation. So that was the first surprise. And then the second one, that it wasn't a red wave. I would call it a, a red trickle. But I think, uh, it, you know, and it wasn't a surprise that, well, it was a bad surprise of the North Carolina Senate getting a supermajority back. Uh, they held off the House by one seat. But it uh, ruined my night to know that, the, you know, the Supreme Court will now be controlled by the Republicans. So this isn't being talked a lot, but big changes in North Carolina. And hopefully today we could talk about why that was, why the Democrats, uh, you know, lost uh, big, big seats 
which will affect um, the future of the state. And, that, and well, I think it's the messaging and things like that. We'll get to some of that. Harold, surprises. I mean, everyone's talking about the lack of this big red wave, but it still wasn't a, a big blue wave either. No, I think it shows that we, we have literally a nation that is 50-50 divided, I mean, in almost every way. And it, it just shows kind of where our politics is. And we live in a state that is 50-50 divided. I think one of the things, um, you know, to think about from North Carolina's perspective is uh, from North Carolina Republican Party was to get Ted Budd elected and to also get our judges um, elected. So from that perspective, uh, the GOP was successful in North Carolina. I, I do, you know, there was this push to get a supermajority in both the House, the uh, General Assembly and the, and the Senate, but um, we weren't able to do, I think there was one seat um, we didn't get in the in the um, North Carolina House, but it was, it was a decent night for Republicans. I think nationally, uh, you know, it was a trickle. It was not a wave. I think there was, it was surprising to see how close some of these races were, uh, particularly like Wisconsin and, 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 and even Pennsylvania losing for Republicans. Um, the bright spot was Florida for the GOP. But, you know, overall, it just shows a divided nation, very. Yeah, a divided nation, but uh, as you said, a split nation. And I think that we got to see that young people came out to vote, right, Greer? Surprises, thoughts about your, your group, your constituency. That's exactly right, Deborah. It's great to be on with you again today. Thanks so much for having me. You know, Mary called it a red puddle nationally, Steve, uh, a red trickle. I think that it, it was very much so, here in North Carolina particularly, a bit of a red river, and that was different than the national narrative. I think, as you mentioned, Deborah, there were some really good surprises for me. There were so many young people that turned out across the nation. Maxwell Frost, 25, a young person of color in Florida, who will become the United States Congress's first Gen Z representative. I think that's awesome and amazing. Yeah. Uh, one quick surprise for me, being a Wake County native, is Wake County Sheriff-elect uh, Willie Rowe. I think he beat Donnie Harrison, who was the former Wake County Sheriff. Uh, Willie Rowe is a Democrat and a man that I think is committed to decency that will do great things for Wake County. And that was a bit of a surprise to many. Um, I think uh, all in all, though, young people really showed that, that we have a lot to say. Here in North Carolina, our trends when it comes to young voter participation were actually down compared to the nation. And so that's something I'm sure we're going to talk about today, something that I'm looking into very heavily. Um, but I was very proud of the peers that I talked to and engaged with this election. They voted. They were passionate about issues, and they made their passions known to candidates across the board and across the state. Very well. And now let's get to the Senate race and what went right, what went wrong for Sherry Beasley. What would you say, um, Mary? She ran a, a good race. She had she was leading in the very beginning with regard to her fundraising, and then things changed. While she was re leading in personal fundraising. I think there'll be a little bit of second guessing on the part of national Democrats. Of course, uh, Jeff Jackson, who now is a member of the House newly elected with that uh, new seat, uh, stepped aside so she could run. Uh, but then again, we didn't see some of the big push from the national Democrats. We didn't see someone like an Obama come in. And that's because they were, of course, protecting their incumbents and putting a lot more resources into high profile races in Pennsylvania, in Georgia, uh, in Arizona, in Nevada. Uh, but, you know, it's it's red and blue, and it seems like there's a rural-urban divide here. Hmm. Uh, and you see many of the cities and early voting going for Sherry Beasley. Uh, and, and even though she visited all of the counties uh, around here, 
Uh, and so I, I think that's you know a piece of it. She's an African-American woman. Of course, that's going to be a big piece of it. In North Carolina, it would have been making history. Uh, and it's interesting, though, because the open seat was Richard Burr, who was uh, a little more unpredictable as a Republican. He did vote for the second impeachment. Uh, and Ted Budd is very much a culture warrior. He is more in the MAGA camp. Remember, he voted uh, not to certify the election of Joe Biden as a member of the House. So it's a different kind of Republican. Uh, and so we'll see how that plays out, because he's much more conservative. I think everyone would agree, although Richard Burr, of course, was a conservative. But she she did run, run a good race. She, she did. And let me pull you in, Steve, because... Um, one of the things that Mary mentioned was about dem national Democratic support for Beasley and their reasons why they didn't. But North Carolina is a critical state. Um, I think that the Democrats could have come in and done a lot more to help her. Yeah, it is disappointing. I mean, I, we were actually expecting President Obama to come in, and, and that, that didn't happen. So I think Mary Curtis hit it on the nail. I mean, they were focusing on, focusing on Pennsylvania, Georgia, the more high-profile races. She did raise more money, $33 million, did the right things, getting into the rural areas. But her focus was more in terms of uh, health care costs, uh, women's reproductive rights. And I think, you know, part of the, part of the challenge for uh, Justice Beasley was the fact that um, the Democrats made a call that, including the president, that it was going to be democracy on the ballot and women's reproductive rights after Dobbs versus Jackson. But that just wasn't the case. I mean, I go back to 1992, President Clinton saying it's the economy, stupid. And um, I think at the end of the day, what mattered in North Carolina was what people were paying at the pump and what people were paying at the kitchen table. And Ted Budd, even though he is a MAGA warrior or a hardliner, will probably be the most conservative Republican senator in the history of our state. Um, he basically just said, this election's about three things, what you're paying for gas, what you're paying for groceries, and we got to control spending. And that message really resonated, I think, and it's just Beasley, you know, didn't have the ground game in place uh, and because of the national people not coming in. Let me hear from so. you, Harold, about that, you know, where these issues were, putting democracy on the ticket. Uh, in this election, what were your thoughts? Well, you know that that, that democracy on the ticket line is a, that that's a more of a Democrat line, I and mean, certain certainly it plays to the base. I think for the Democratic Party, but I think as far as independent voters, I really do think it was about you know the kitchen table issues, especially in North Carolina, the reopening of schools, the sort of economic stuff. I think that's where North Carolina voters are the most, and and so that's the the, the fighting ground for it. I think you know. Uh, it's interesting to me because, you know, you would think that Sherry Beasley is really a perfect candidate in a lot of ways for the North Carolina Democratic Party to have put somebody up for Senate. And we've seen over and over in North Carolina that for whatever reason, uh, um, uh, we, you know, black candidates at that level have not been successful. And it's just something that I think we all need to look at and figure out why, because you know, ultimately, we are a significant portion of the voting block here in North Carolina. Um, and so I don't know the answer to that. But I think when you look at Val Demings in Florida, you know, I think even though I disagree with her issues, she would be a she is a good candidate. Um, it, it's just it's, it's just interesting to see. And I think it's something we need to look at. And um, I would like to look at just what all of this means for us as a nation. Greer, let me get your thoughts on this. We're still awaiting the results of some pivotal races. Uh, where we, where are we, would you say, and what's at stake? 
I think there's a lot at stake, Deborah. I agree with what the other panelists today have said overall. And I think that there's a real reckoning right now when it comes to North Carolina in particular, but also the United States. I, I want to call it a youth reckoning. I mean, we saw massive voter participation across the United States from young people, largely Democratic, but also unaffiliated voters. We know that here in North Carolina, the largest voting block, voting block, excuse me, are those unaffiliated voters. And so I think for that reason and others, we need to really look at the way that we do politics. I know Harold was mentioning that democracy is on the ballot, is, is more of a Democratic Party line, but I think that that actually affects us all. I mean, there's no kitchen table, there's no house, really, unless we are able to uh, have elections that are fair, that are free, unless we're able to trust those um, and believe those that we put into elected office. And so I think young people are really turning out. I think in North Carolina, this election cycle, there was really a missed opportunity by candidates on both sides to address issues that would really turn out that youth vote. We know the young population in North Carolina, 18 to 30, is rising. So issues like climate change, like gun control, like college loan and debt forgiveness. I mean, we see that President Biden in August signed the Inflation Reduction Act. Young people care about that. We want to be safe in our schools. We want to be able to, to learn freely on our college campuses. And we also want to make sure that we're not leaving too big of a footprint on our environment and that we're able to sustain uh, this climate and, and our globe going forward. And so I think there's a real chance for North Carolina to step up to the plate to appeal to young voters. And we're seeing the difference that that made nationally, Deborah, if I could, in places like Pennsylvania, um, in places like Georgia, we'll see with the runoff election for Senate, but in places like Nevada and Arizona, where they are still counting votes and going through that democratic process, young people and people of color are going to play a, a very vital role, I believe. And it's time for North Carolina to really jump on that wave as we move forward. Wow, you've said a lot there, and I want to pick up on some of these issues that matter to young people and also transition to talking about the larger black community altogether. In this midterm election, were the issues that matter to Americans in general also addressed uh, in terms of the issues that matter to African Americans? I, I would love your feedback from each of you. Let me start with you, Mary. Yes, well, I, I, all of these overall issues uh, that all of the panelists have been talking about and the divisions of Americans, I really touch on in quite a few of my columns at Roll Call because I think African-Americans do feel a little bit threatened when they see at the end of these campaigns so many candidates leaning into fear, using saying crime as sort of equivalent to the black criminals are going to come out to get you, as opposed to looking at the criminals on January 6, 2021, who were beating up police officers. And they feel that actually how people treat one another, their decency, these really are important issues to African-Americans. When they see these uh, voting laws coming that will restrict their uh, voting ability, when they see Governor Ron DeSantis eliminating districts a majority minority districts that mean less representation and elect and arresting people, former felons, for voting when they didn't even know that they weren't supposed to vote. This is to put out fear and intimidation. So this is a big issue, as well as all of the kitchen table issues. And I do believe that Black voters are very nuanced in the sense of, yes, we want uh, not to have crime, but we also want criminal justice reform mm -hmm. so that we all are treated well and right. people aren't treated as perps. So I, right. I think, yes, we are looking overall at the issues, but we also are worried that in this new divided 
it's not new, but in this divided country where people see more and more at each other's throats, that they will realize that American democracy isn't zero sum. What some, you know, immigrants aren't here to hurt you. We aren't here to take what you have. And they are paying attention. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Mary. Steve, you know, she she mentioned some of these issues, and so did Greer, that, that matter to young people, that matter to black people. Um, and inflation, you know, as, as you mentioned a little bit earlier, it's the economy, stupid. If we take a look at the economy as that driving factor that, uh, you, you know, kind of was at the backs of people's minds as they were making their decisions at the poll, Inflation was absolutely an issue, and there are a number of factors that the Democrats are saying, you know, were behind inflation. What would you say was really driving inflation up, and could Democrats have done anything about that? Well, I mean, I think that uh, whenever you have the Republican theory is that just too much money coming in the system and, you know, oversupply of money and a lack of goods, and so... Any economist will tell you when you have that situation, you'll have inflation. But let's not forget, we were on the heels of a pandemic, and this wasn't a Democrat or Republican issue. So I think it's unfair to just make the Democrats feel like they're responsible for inflation. You know, the fact of the matter, though, is that the president has had things that he has gotten done that could eventually create more jobs and reduce, like, logistics costs, for example, like the the ARP plan, which is investing billions of dollars in broadband uh, doing a lot to build the bridges and roads in our country, uh, the Inflation Reduction Act, which would actually help people reduce health care costs, you know, cap the price of insulin, $35 for seniors, uh, affordable health care for more Americans. So all of these things are important to counter, uh, you know, the inflationary costs that folks are facing so that they're paying less for health care, student loan forgiveness, reducing debt for, you know, for kids that are going to school, for young people particularly, right? But I think, Deb, the problem was that there's been so much going on every day from the White House that they haven't been able, the president, I don't think, has done a very good job communicating to the American people, this is how what I'm doing is going to help you during these inflationary times. That's exactly it. That's yeah, exactly that's, it, because yes, yeah. even, even amongst the people who I talk to, they're saying, well, what did the Biden administration do for black people? And I say, well, have you been paying attention? Well, he, he invested $3.7 billion in historic black colleges and universities. You know, he did put forward the George Floyd Act, which didn't pass, right? Uh, well, it didn't pass, so yeah. I but guess that's did, what... But yeah, it's got to be. But black, the last thing I'll say is that we have to quit assuming black voters are different, different than any voters. They're going to want to see you know, results for what's helping them in their pocketbooks. And of course, concerns about lack of you know, progress in legislation for voting rights, criminal justice, these kinds of things are going to be why they are not either not coming out. And right? that's what they're saying. So yeah. hopefully that'll change. Harold, what are your thoughts on the impact of inflation in the economy and how voters actually reacted at the polls? I think it's important what, what Steve said at the end here is that black voters aren't, you know, we're are not any different than any other voters. Of course, there are some some specific issues to us, but mostly it's about what's going to affect our family the most, you know, what's going to affect us the most, um, you know, the, the issues around the economy, you know, this, you know, uh, price of gas, the price of food has really, really hit the pockets of, of black voters, of black people. I mean, because there's no doubt about it that uh, people um, that, uh, you know, 
don't have a lot of income, especially discretionary income, are, are going to be hit by inflation in ways that um, are really, really hurtful to them. So I think that, you know, it's a complex issue because, of course, as as Mary said, Black voters are also thinking about criminal justice reform and also we're also thinking about all these other issues. But I do think it comes down to the economy the most. I mean, I, mm -hmm. I do think that's where most people, most voters in America and most Black American voters are, that's where our mind is because, frankly, a lot of us, a lot of folks wake up and they think about, all right, where's my next paycheck coming from? There are a lot of Americans that don't have $400 for an emergency right now. So, I mean, that is, you know, ever present on everybody's mind. That's real. And Black Americans are Americans. <laughs> have the, have many of the same concerns. We're here in North Carolina. How much of what we've seen, you think, uh, so far is a factor of the issues that the voters are thinking about versus these district lines and political maps? We always talk about turnout, but political maps have an impact. Political maps definitely have an impact. That's why I think redistricting is so important. And, uh, you know, it was unfortunate that we saw the results we did to me at the North Carolina General Assembly level. We'll see how that impacts maps here and voter turnout. I do want to say, I mean, the show is called Black Issues Forum. It's important that we talk about Black voters and the issues that matter to us. I think here in North Carolina in particular, again, we're seeing a growing divide between urban and rural areas, especially when it comes to young people, college, and those that maybe didn't choose to attend a four-year traditional college. And so I think it's very important uh, between voters that are affiliated with the party and not affiliated with the party. We need to make sure that we're presenting uh, candidates and, and wide-ranging plans that address any North Carolinian and with which any North Carolinian can connect. I think Mary mentioned earlier something that's critical when we talk about elections, and that's fear. We've seen a lot of intimidation. We've seen attacks on, on poll workers, and I'm so thankful to them here in this state in particular for uh, enduring such attacks and continuing to serve in a, in a democratic way. I mean, just to shout out some of the groups that are doing that protection work, you have Black Voters Matter. You have Lamisha Whittington, who's a guest often on this show of Advanced Carolina, the North Carolina Black Alliance. And so I think it's very critical that we continue to support one another. To Harold's point, um, you know, I would push back a little bit, I guess, in general to the, the narrative that, you know, Black folks or, or Black voters didn't turn out. And this wasn't necessarily Harold's point alone, but Black people actually did turn out in, in historic numbers in this election, especially when it comes to Democratic Party candidates. You see that in Georgia. You see that in other places as well, in New York, that, that Black men and women are actually voting in, in great numbers. And so it's not that we don't vote, it's that we need to continue uh, to prioritize issues that uh, affect young Black voters, Black voters in general. And I think, you know, some of this polling, Deborah, this is another conversation, but we need to change the way we do that. Young people are just not going to pick up the phone. We don't have house phones, so maybe we need to switch some of this polling to TikTok or Twitter. I'm not sure. Bring but young it. people do have a lot of issues, and I feel like there are better ways to address them. I'm looking forward to to, to doing that and, and doing my part here in North Carolina. Absolutely. And, and we have to hear that from, from you yourself because you represent that community and you have regular communication with them. So that's, that's great advice. And absolutely, things do have to change. One thing that I think is, is clear is the results of this 2022 midterm election say a lot about the American people our values, and what we find as priorities. Mary, what do you think it says about the direction that we're going as a nation, and particularly Trumpism? Well, it was very interesting. You know, I wrote a column at Roll Call that said you would think that no matter what political party anyone belongs to, that everyone could agree that 
hitting an 82-year-old man, we mean Paul Pelosi in the head with a hammer, was a bad thing. Yet we saw candidates joke about it. We saw conspiracy theories rise. And it was interesting in this election that many of those Trump-picked candidates, like Dr. Oz, uh, Dr. Mehmet Oz in Pennsylvania, not do so well. Uh, in New Hampshire, we saw his back candidate not do well against incumbent Senator uh, Maggie Hassan. Uh, and so maybe that is a good point, that you do have the Trump base. But he is, what, that 30-some percent popularity? And I think the Republican Party is, they've been a little fearful about going up against him, but maybe they'll start backing away because there have been recriminations. And maybe at heart that American people are decent and this nastiness, painting your opponent not just as someone with whom you disagree, but as bad and evil. We even see Congresswoman Lauren Boebert in a tough race after right. her incendiary rhetoric. So I think that's a good point. I think the other thing that people have to do is get better at making connections of saying, look, in North Carolina, you have now a Republican-led Supreme Court, abortion rights, voting rights, redistricting. They're up for grabs now, and this is the connection. Very Even important when you talk points. about it's the economy. Yeah, they have, yeah very, all of these are good. Very, and, and I, want, I want to pull, I have just a few seconds. I want to get your feedback, Steve and Harold. Trumpism, here, gone, where is it? I'll Steve. I'll take a stab at it. It wasn't a good night for Donald Trump. I mean, you know, his strategy of coming in the swing states, you know, like like Mary said, you know, he didn't do well in Pennsylvania. Georgia was supposed to be a slam dunk, didn't get that. Uh, Arizona, Mark Kelly won. Uh, the governor, Kerry Lake, lost that race in Arizona. Uh, you know, even other offices across the country. So I think that uh, Trumpism is here, but I don't think it'll be enough for him to get back in the White House. Harold? I think DeSantis will be the, the nominee. Hmm. Harold. Yeah, I mean, you look, at, you look at what happened with Ron DeSantis. Florida, a state that, you know, now has no elected statewide uh, Democrats, all Republicans. DeSantis won by 20 points, 20. Wow. I mean, that, yeah. I think that it says a shows lot. you his strength as a political figure here as well. Harold Eustish, Mary C. Curtis, Steve Rao, uh, Greer Webb, thank you all so much for joining us. And we want to also thank all of you for watching and invite you to engage with us on Twitter or Instagram using the hashtag Black Issues Forum. You can also find our full episodes on pbsnc.org slash Black Issues Forum or listen at any time on Apple iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. For Black Issues Forum, I'm Deborah Holt-Noel. Take care. Quality public television is made possible through the financial contributions of viewers like you, who invite you to join them in supporting PBSNC.